I'm going to start by reading from, from this book, first few lines. This is by Jean-Louis Chrétien. It's a, a translated work. He, um, he passed away a few years ago, but he was one of France's leading philosophers, and he was also a novelist and a poet, and just a, a profound Christian. His writings have, have nourished me uh, through the years. This book is called The Art of Speech. And here are the first few lines from the book. How far does hospitality go? How far can it go? What can we welcome and gather in? And how? Hospitality is, first and foremost, the hospitality that we give each other, exchanging words and silences glances, and voices. I love those questions. I love good questions. Uh, and these are good questions. These are questions to live with, to spend a good amount of time with, considering not just how we should think about the answers, but how we should and can live out those answers. How far does hospitality go? Does our hospitality go? How far can it go? And what can we welcome and gather in? How? Those are definitely questions I live with. Uh, I'm sure many of us do. But I love how strongly he connects hospitality with how we converse and talk with one another. That's where he goes right away. He says hospitality is first and foremost the hospitality we give each other, exchanging words and silences. Sometimes we need to do a little more silence in our conversing with each other. In our glances, our body language, in our voices, in the tone with which we speak with each other, in the unique tone of our own voice. True hospitality. It promotes a welcoming atmosphere where we can have real, life-giving conversation. It provides a shelter, we could say, for real conversation. The name of the book is The Ark of Speech, as in Noah's Ark. Right? And what does Noah's Ark do? It, it uh, sheltered, gathered in, and welcomed Noah's family and all the animals and sheltered them, protected them from the, the chaos of the flood, right? That's going on up there. These days, we need an ark, a shelter for real conversation. We need communities that do that, friendships that do that, groups that do that, ways of doing that. A shelter from the, the chaos and the flood of all the words that people are drowning in, it seems, in our day. All the words that we hear and read about that many times just confuse us instead of clarify and for us. Many times words that just mislead us. All the comments online that are just belligerent. All the words that end up just alienating us. From one another instead of connecting us to one another. The Tower of Babel, 
is in full force, it seems, in our days. And we need, we need an ark, a shelter for conversation. For true conversation where we can and where people do speak the truth to one another in love. Right? Where people say what they mean and they mean what they say. Where people do what they say they're going to do. Where people are free to speak their mind about things that matter, things of consequence, things that might be controversial without the fear of being over-censored. We need a shelter where we can talk freely, but not just to vent, not just to get things off our chest, but in a way that we're actually talking about how to promote the common good, how to promote especially the kingdom of God on the earth. We need a place where people can speak the truth in love. That's a phrase from one of our readings this morning from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, where Paul is describing this new humanity that has gathered around Jesus, this new multi-ethnic family, this new family of friends that has a particular way of living with their Lord and with each other. And one of those things that Paul is highlighting here is the way they talk to each other. They speak the truth in love to each other. We'll come back to Ephesians, the bigger context later, but first I want to help us disconnect this to the thing we've been talking about since the retreat. Friendship. The theme of friendship. And we've talked about a number of things from on this theme. We've talked about the importance, I think we all know, of friendship, but the great difficulty we have in making and keeping friends in Greater Boston. How friends many times can be very similar to us, and yet as Christians, we have resources where our friends can be very different from us, where we can cross divides that people don't normally cross. That's what Christians have had through the centuries. We talk about how in close friendships, our souls can be knit together, as we heard last week, where we can co-inhere one another, where we can enter each other's hearts, share each other's burdens and joys. We've talked about how in friendship there's a commitment, some level of commitment, and we all struggle with how much of that to give in this age of mobilization. But our commitment can be as low as we, we're going to meet for coffee every so often to catch up, to share our lives. And it can be as deep as we're going to make a lifelong commitment, a covenant to each other. Most of our friendships are somewhere in the middle there. And when we also talk about how actually in Christ, as Christians, we are already in a covenant. A covenant, the new covenant of Christ, right? In the New Testament. The covenant that is really a covenant of friendship, as we saw last week. First with our Lord, but also with each other. There is no just me and Jesus in the new covenant. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it's not in the Bible. So if you signed up and you're like, I want to be a Christian, I want just to be me and Jesus, 
you might be shocked to look around and go, shoot, now I got all these other people I gotta be friends with, or at least love. Can't be friends with everybody, but, um, but it's a covenant we're in that's gonna transcend death. And it also calls us to a particular way of relating to each other. And one of those ways is how we speak with one another, how we should. And so this brings us to something we touched on at the retreat, but we didn't go very far. And so we need to sometimes stay with something, come back to something. That's, again, I'm getting training in spiritual direction, and one of our phrases is, stay with. You notice something significant, something important happening in here. Like, Let's stay with that for a bit. That's why we're staying with friendship. That's why we're coming back to this way of talking to another. We talked about, or I talked about, how the Greeks had a lot to say about friendship. They paid attention to friendship uh, more than more than most cultures. And what they noticed and articulated about friendship was that how it requires honest words with good intent. So for example, Plutarch, he was a, a Platonist philosopher in the, in the first century. He wrote this in his essay called How to Tell a Flatterer from Friend. <laughs> Which, yeah, we need to know sometimes. Uh, and so this is what he wrote. He said, frankness of speech, by common report and belief, is the language of friendship, especially. As an animal has a particular cry. So just like you can, you can identify an animal by how they sound and what their cry is, you can identify a friendship because of the language of friendship, because of this honest and frank way they have with each other. Or in the words of Paul, when they are speaking the truth to one another in love. By contrast, if someone is just flattering you with words, they probably want something from you other than real friendship, other than genuine friendship. And I had an experience of this um, early on in my young 20s. I was working at a bank in Canada, and, I was around, um, and there was this guy who would come in all the time very regularly, and he was so positive all the time. Everything was awesome, always. Everything is awesome. Yeah, he was saying that a long time ago. <laughs> he watched the Lego movie. But also, if he said something to me, it was always very positive and always very, very flattering. Which made me a bit uncomfortable. But I thought, maybe, you know, this is his way. Maybe he wants to be friends. So he invites me out to coffee one time, and I'm thinking, oh, this is like a gesture of friendship. And no, I realized what he wanted was not friendship, but he wanted me to join Amway. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay. <clears throat> and then when I made it very clear to him I did not want to join Amway, suddenly when he came into the bank from then on, I didn't hear as many flattering words. <laughs> and I figured out from that relationship, oh, he wasn't after friendship. He was just flattering me to get something from me, to get me to do something. Friends don't do that. Or real friends, right? They, they don't deceive you with their words. They don't have ulterior motives. They, they speak the truth. And sometimes they say things that are hard for you. So, as, uh, as Proverbs said, sometimes, like, um, iron sharpens iron, so friends sharpen one another. They say things to challenge each other to good things, to better things. And uh, that was another a friend of mine, a real friend, 
early on was to me. His name is Miles Valley, still is Miles Valley. Actually, his name, Miles, is why Adam is named Adam Miles Friedrich. He was a significant friend, early friend for me in my Christian walk. And he was, a, he was a very serious follower of Jesus, very passionate and pretty rough. He was, he had a rough voice and he had a rough upbringing. He had been to prison, um, but had a dramatic conversion. And really took me under his wing in many ways. And so he, would, he spoke his mind. He didn't, he didn't have to guess with Miles what he was thinking. It was right there. And he didn't always say it in the most gentle manner <laughs> when he told me things. But he usually was telling me things I needed to hear. And at this time, I was, I was really into the works of Charles Finney, if you know who he is. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. But I was a little too into Charles Finney, and especially his perfectionist writings, which were really bad for me. Uh, as a young Christian, you're passionate. You're like, yes, I can be perfect. Um, it was, it was not good, and, and my friend Miles could see it, um, and he knew I needed to be detached from this guy and stop reading him. So one day we're in his Bible study that I was part of, and uh, and he took a jab at Finney right in the middle of the Bible study. I was like, what? Are you serious? And so I was pretty mad because uh, I was a little too into Finney, and he knew it. And so we got together afterwards. He was like, that stung a little, didn't it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I did. And he's like, I meant to do that. But not to be mean, but because I love you. <laughs> and you need to stop reading this guy. <laughs> and I didn't take it so well at the very beginning, but I eventually heeded that advice, and it was good. And uh, a lot of things he, he shared with me were rough, but I knew he was speaking the truth in love to me. He was a real friend. Jesus said, I call you friends because I have shared everything with you that I have heard from the Father. We talked about this at the retreat. Jesus didn't hold things back. He didn't keep secrets. And when we look at the different things Jesus shared with his friends, yes, things were powerful, revealing, hopeful, encouraging, affirming, but sometimes hard. Jesus wasn't given to flattery. Sometimes he had to say to his friends, get behind me, Satan. That's worse than a jab of Finney. So I feel for, for Peter in that moment, you know, he gets like, yeah, he gets something right and affirms him, yeah, you know I'm the Christ. That was revealed to you by the Father. And then Peter said something that was dumb, or he didn't know. And, uh, and Jesus came in strong. But I'm convinced by the life of Christ, by all that he has said and done, all that he's done in my life, when he speaks the truth, he speaks the truth in love. He speaks to free you from folly and from error and from things that corrupt you and shrink your life. And he speaks the truth in love to expand your life into the purposes of God. He always speaks the truth in love. He's the one who does that perfectly. And we need to acknowledge when we don't, when we lie, we twist the truth, when we speak things for unloving reasons. We need to repent of that. We need to let the Holy Spirit sanctify in that as we try to become more like Christ in this way. 
I think it's also helpful to recognize that because of our personality, because of our upbringing, because of the consistent choices we have made throughout our lives, we are prone, typically, to emphasize one of these, truth or love, at the expense of the other. Some of us hold these together really well, and we're really good at affirming and emphasizing both of these. Those are very Jesus-like people. But for the rest of us, we are prone, I think, to one or the other. Uh, and it's good to pay attention to that, right? So for some of us, we're prone to emphasize the truth. We really, we don't have a problem with speaking our mind. And that's refreshing. We can actually talk about things that matter, um, even if it makes things a little uncomfortable. But sometimes we can do that at the expense of love. At the expense of how you should tell the truth. Why you should be telling this truth. Because sometimes we can do that because we're just annoyed at the person we're talking to. Because we're talking out of spite. Because we want them to feel the sting of the truth for unloving reasons. <laughs> Not to befriend them. But to get at them. To make them feel some pain. Just to make them feel some pain. And I think sometimes we're not always aware of that motive in our hearts when we do that. We need to be attentive to the Holy Spirit when He convicts us of that. Because when we speak the truth without love, we're not speaking the truth. We're not living the truth. Right? And when we do that, when we speak the truth without love, we leave a really bad taste in people's mouths for that particular truth that we're trying to emphasize. And they're probably going to turn away from it just because of the way we're talking about it. So yeah, while some of us are, are prone to emphasize the truth at the expense of love, some of us are prone to emphasize love at the expense of truth. And sometimes this can start out well, right? Where we care about how things are said. We care about if this is going to actually help the person or not. And we care about how it's going to be interpreted and felt and received, and those are all good, important things to pay attention to. But when we care too much about that, then we can start avoiding telling the truth to people. We can keep things for people about how we really think or feel, or what we think the truth is that might offend them, or make things uncomfortable, or cause some tension, or challenge somebody in some way. And when we do that more and more, we've got to ask, are we really loving each other? And will we stop telling the truth to one another? I think all this is to help us to pay attention to, to what our tendencies are on this, so that we know where we need to repent more. So we need, know where we need the Holy Spirit to sanctify us more in order so that we can get better at offering this language of friendship with each other. In order that we can better offer a shelter and art for real conversation. In order we can promote an atmosphere, yes, where people are just free to honestly speak their mind. Where we can talk about things that matter to us, to each other. We can talk about, talk about our hopes and fears that, and even if it gets awkward at times, it's okay, because we know this is, we can never make a, a place totally safe. 
think you should just put that out there. But you can play the, make a place safe enough. I think that's a better phrase. Because safe gets, it gets ridiculous. <laughs> but we can make a place that's safe enough to talk about real things. And as we, though, talk about, we want to promote speaking the truth in love, let's remember the greatest truth that we can speak to one another. The truth of the gospel. That's where this phrase is found. It's found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians where he has just been going off about the gospel for chapters. And so when we hear him say, speak the truth in love, he definitely has the truth of the gospel in mind. Let's just go through some of that. Let's just remind ourselves of some of the truth we can speak to each other in love. Paul starts off in chapter 1, he says, The will of God has been revealed. He desires to unite all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. That is what our Creator wants to do. That's His purpose in Christ. That is good news to tell each other and remind each other of. This is the good God we have, who's in our midst, who's working in our lives. Speak that truth to one another. And then Paul says in chapter 2, God has made that peace between all the different people that are warring against each other. The peace between us and our Creator has been made. The peace between us when we don't want to speak the truth in love to each other because we know that might make friends with that other person and we don't want to be friends with them. <laughs> God says, no, I want to bring you together. I want to make peace. And in Christ, I have made peace. For that very purpose that we're to dwell in and live by and demonstrate as the people of God. We need to challenge each other with that truth. Do we see each other in that good news? Do we speak that good news to each other that we're called to demonstrate? Paul says we are God's workmanship in Christ. We are God's poem, literally. His work of art. His kintsugi art, really, if you think of that. If you know kintsugi, it's when a pod breaks and then the master artist brings the pieces all back together and, and glues them back together with gold. And the pot looks more beautiful at the end than it did at the beginning. We, you, are God's kintsugi art. Do you see that when you look at each other in your friendships? Do you speak that truth to each other in love? We're to display this good news, call each other to it. We're to just demonstrate in our community, in our friendships, this generosity and forgiveness and wisdom, the unity and diversity of our triune God. And that brings us to our chapter, chapter 4. And hear this, hear Paul talk about and emphasize both these things. We talked about friendship having a unity, a similarity, and a difference. It's right here in chapter 4. So what he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity 
of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. We're to work to make every effort to maintain that unity, to speak that unity to each other, to talk about it, to remind each other of it, to encourage each other, challenge each other in it. But it's a unity within diversity, which is awesome where he goes next. Paul talks about all these gifts Christ has given to the church, all these different gifts. He says he's granted that some are apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And he doesn't even list all the gifts that he gives to all the different saints. Uh, here He does in his other letters. All the different ways God has made us, created us, redeemed us to be. And part of the, the blessing of being a Christian is learning and practicing how to see that distinction in each of us. To say, I see this of Christ in you. And it's beautiful. And I encourage you, and I encourage you to, to live more fully into it. And let's pray for that. It's one of the best things about being a friend in Christ, I have found, is being able to see that and bless that, acknowledge that, name that, speak that truth in love. For the building up of the body of Christ. Until all of us come into the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the full stature, stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him. This is part of Paul's letter. That's just a fraction of the truth of the gospel we can speak to one another in love. And when we do that, that makes for the best friendships on the planet. You might want to consider spending the next week or two reading the whole letter of Ephesians, Paul's whole letter. Re-establishing yourself in the greatest truth, the greatest love you can do. And in doing so, broaden what you can offer your friends and your friends-to-be in your conversations with each other. I'm going to finish with the quote I started with, but I'm going to just change a few things. How far does friendship go? How far can it go? What can we welcome? Who can we welcome? And gather in? And how? Friendship is, first and foremost, the truth we give to each other in love. As we exchange words and silences, glances and voices, and the good news of our God. Amen.